Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. And we're live, folks. We are live. With that being said, folks, we are with Harley Schlanger, the man, the myth, the legend himself. He needs no introduction. You can find him over at LaRoucheOrganization.com, um, LaRoucheOrganization.com, as well as the SchillerInstitute.com as well. You can find all his works over there. The links will be in the description box. And with that all out of the way, Harley, what's up, buddy? How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, except for this uh, Putin-influenced climate change of tree pollen. I know. Potsdam. Yeah, well, you know, before we went live, Harley, we were discussing about if you take, um, you know, the the, you know, uh, the, the the racism and the white privilege, um, and you divide that by, um, you know, the the gender, um, identities. How much climate change do you get? And uh, we we found out the answer is Vladimir Putin. That's that's the answer to that. Obviously, and and uh, <laughs> he's not going to stop. You know, he's not un, un, until it's world domination because, you know, uh, the Russians have done everything. They've, uh, you know, they've hacked the colonial pipelines and uh, they've put their bitcoins that they supposedly ransomed in a U.S. jurisdictional wallet that the FBI had access to. I mean, there's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you go through these things, it's just so uh, farcical that you want Because we live in clown world in the West, Harley. We live in clown world in the West. In the previous show, I was just talking about how Janet Yellen, the, the, the football with clipped hair, came back from, from the I-7. I'm not going to call them G-7 anymore. They don't deserve to be called the G-7. They need to be called the I-7, the insolvent 7 meeting, where they <laughs> literally sat around and circle-jerked themselves into all the things and platitudes they're going to do. And... Um, she came back and she said, you know, the question that was being posed by Wall Street and many of the banks over here is, uh, listen, inflation is about to run, is, is starting to run. And we, because we have a fire economy, our entire economy is based on, 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 on finance, insurance, and real estate, which requires dirt cheap money. Uh, they're like, uh, listen, <laughs> you got to do something about this interest rate. And Yellen's answer is like, oh, yeah, we'll do something. Maybe 2023, maybe 2025. We'll see how it is. These people are all nuts. Harley, in other words, we're living in clown world. Where do you want to take us today? How do you want to break things down? There's so many things happening. Well, we, we've got the tale of three summits, but I, I want to start with something that Putin said, which, yes. you know, he's been targeted just... I mean, the president of the free world. Go ahead. Well, Putin was, uh, he said, as a former citizen of the Soviet Union, I have some insight into what's going on in the United States. Ah. He said, he said, the problem of empires is that they think they are so powerful that they can afford small inaccuracies and mistakes. Now, I don't know if these are small inaccuracies and mistakes, but then he went on to say, but problems keep piling up. And yep. at some point, they're no longer able to cope with them. Yep. And the United States is now walking the Soviet Union's path. Yes. And its gait is confident and steady. Now, he said this after a speech by one of his uh, associates who said that the Russians are not going to 
go down if the uh, they're pulled out of the SWIFT system. They're working on alternatives. And then Lavrov said something very interesting on that. He said, look, we don't want to do something that could crash the financial system. We don't right. want to do that. It's in trouble as it is. But we have alternatives if you keep pushing. Correct. And so you have the Russians. And the third statement was from Zakharova, or Zakharova, the uh, foreign ministry spokeswoman, who's yes. actually a pretty sharp-tongued lady. Very. But, yeah, she's, she's quite good. She was asked, uh, well, what about NATO? NATO keeps saying that you won't meet with them. And she said, that's a bunch of poppycock. We've been asking to meet with them. The only thing is, we said, since it's a military alliance, the generals should be at the meeting. And they don't want to do that. Right. Right. Because God so, forbid it's Shoigu. You know, somebody who's battle hard, somebody who, who's as who's as steeled as Shoigu sits across the, the desk from uh, Schultzenberg, whatever the guy's name is. Schultzenberg. Uh, yeah, the the guy from NATO, yeah. the, the 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 idiot pencil neck. Yeah, the the guy who keeps saying, "Well, we'll do everything we can to support Ukraine, but we can't bring them into NATO." And no. Zelensky's having a stroke over this. He said, <laughs> "Well, you protect us if we're not in NATO. How can we trust you?" And they said, "Oh, don't worry, just trust us." Yeah, exactly, and and Zelensky's learning a hard lesson what the uh, what the Kurds in northern Iraq learned right after uh, the Desert Storm. <laughs> well, the lesson that he's learning is that if he doesn't go this way of of backing fully the United States and NATO, he's going to get overthrown by these same Nazis who overthrew the previous government. Because yeah. the Svoboda, the Azov Brigade, these guys are not happy that their country is actually ruled by a Jewish comedian. <laughs> they're not too happy about that. The not the neo Nazis that are running Ukraine. <laughs> well, now, now let's let's uh, go over to this question of the inflation problem. You know, Helga Zeplarouche has been pretty funny on this because she noticed that that Ye uh, Yellen said something like, "Well, we're tending toward inflation." Uh, this was about two weeks ago, and Helga said that's like tending toward pregnancy. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I was like, uh, that's like saying that you're slightly pregnant. <laughs> and then you have the imbeciles who are running around talking about why this is a good thing, and they're saying, oh, it's 2%, 2.5%. That's what Powell keeps saying. Yeah. Uh -huh. Then you get figures of 4.9% 4 in one month. Yep. It's a little higher than two and a half percent annual. Well, the real numbers are when you look at the, the the people who actually really track this and the real firms that do the real mathematics behind it. Where our inflation is probably right now anywhere between about fourteen, about thirteen and a half to fourteen point nine percent right now. Well, and then you have the figures from uh, of world food prices, which have gone up forty nine percent May two thousand twenty to May two thousand twenty one. Forty nine percent. Gasoline has gone up too significantly. You've had building supplies are are four hundred and sixty percent up on on a lot of the building supplies. I mean, it, it, it it's bad out there. It really is. Then you get this line that well, it's because China is hoarding goods, oh, and buying up everything. Now they seem to ignore the fact that the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank are flooding the banks with huge volumes of funny money. And apparently that has nothing to do with inflation if you listen to these idiots speak. But they're really in a difficult situation because on the one hand, 
They've been saying now for three years, we need to get the inflation rate up. We got, have to get out of stag. We don't want to go into stagflation or deflation. And yeah, well, you know what I love? I'm actually putting together a paper right now explaining to the average uh, Bubis Americanus what, what you know, because there's a lot of argument between inflation and deflation. I keep telling people stagflation, and the, mor- and the morons get back at me, and they're like, well, you know, you'll never have a stagflation. It's not going to be like the 70s. You're not going to have higher oil prices and supply chain issues. I'm like, oh, my God, these people just don't get it, man. But, yeah, we are heading for a stagflation, Harley. Well, what we're heading for is probably a collapse. 1,000%. This is why, if you look at what the other thing that Putin said at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum is that he has said, this is in his last speech, the last day of the, the event, he said he has told Russian firms doing business outside of Russia, don't do business in the dollar. If you have to use a foreign currency, use the euro. Yeah. And this caused a, a real panic among people, especially at the uh, European Central Bank, because they're saying, well, wait a second, the Russians are going to come over here with all their dollar denominated assets and buy euros. And then they were told they already have. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And, and more and more companies. I, I mean, I've talked to companies that are offshore of uh, various firms and offices and uh, they're de-dollarizing Harley. They don't want to deal with it. They're like, yeah, I don't think we want to. Why? Because what's occurred in the last 10 years is you had countries, okay, that are in the, uh, the, the, the Eurasian zone, that are in northern and central and, and, and south Africa, right, that are in the African continent, countries that it would be easier for these firms to utilize euros rather than dollars. And I'm not even talking about countries that are on the all-fact list. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about just the ability to transact would be better because they don't know how the the, the dollar is not only extremely uh, a, a dangerous implement to use in terms of commerce and trade, but there's so many strings attached and they don't want to have to deal with the risk. Well, that's and that's a big problem because the... Up until now, there's only been one game in town, which is the dollar, whether you're talking about SWIFT, whether you're talking about uh, trade. But the, the, and the, the idea that it's the only game, that there is no alternative. Uh, you, know, you, you come up to a point at some time where it becomes clear that, that something has changed fundamentally. You know, it's like after the Titanic hit the iceberg, it became clear you couldn't keep sailing. And... What we've seen now is people trying to, to get out from under it. And the, the Chinese, while they're talking about a digital currency, they're not talking about a Bitcoin type thing. They're talking about uh, a way of containing or keeping their, their funds from the international casino. Yeah. And that's been one of the, the points of... Uh, conflict between Trump and Xi Jinping in the trade agreement, because the Chinese were very clear with Mnuchin. They said, well, we're willing to talk to you about tariffs on beef and pork and all sorts of things, but we're not going to open up our banking system to you speculators. And Mnuchin took it personally, because remember how he made his money. He, he bought up all these collapsed houses. He's a slumlord. Home deals in uh, California with Indy Mac Bank and, and made a huge fortune by throwing people out on their rear ends. 
So the Chinese look at that and they say, well, we know the kind of people you are. There's a very, really interesting article by, you know who Ray McGovern is? The, uh, yep, uh, Vips. CIA analyst for 40 years and president. Yep. Now, now he's part of VIP group. Yeah, he's one of the founders of the Vips. Yep. Uh, he had a column. Let me just see if I can find this because it's really quite. But he was talking about uh, what Biden, he said, Biden is like his predecessors. He's behaving with arrogance and a sense of entitlement, firing missiles into Syria, blustering over Ukraine, dispatching naval forces into the Black Sea and waters near China. And then he said, but Biden is not his own man, and Putin knows this all yep. too well. And then Ray says, it's not just the military-industrial complex, but the military-industrial congressional intelligence media academia think tank complex, and that's who's calling the shots, and Putin knows it. Correct. Now, three months ago, Ray appeared on, at an event with me and we had a little bit of a dispute because he was saying, well, in his view, the glass is half full with Biden because he has a certain amount of confidence in some of the people in the administration, uh, including William Burns, the head of the CIA. I think from Ray's comments last week, he's beginning to see the glass is a little less than half full with Biden. Well, the glass is completely empty, like, like, like his suit. He's a, he's, a, he's a cardboard cutout. He's a, the man's a hologram. He doesn't exist. He's, he's ruled by proxy at this point. He's ruled by composite, Harley. Well, and, and uh, whoever feeds his uh, teleprompter, and unfortunately, he doesn't read it too well. I want somebody to hack his teleprompter when he's, <laughs> when he's speaking live. I would love that. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw this. But Saturday Night Live did a thing with Obama talking to his daughters. And the teleprompter did get hacked. And he, he said some very nasty things to them. <laughs> the uh, hold on, hold on. Now, what I like to tell Michelle is uh... <laughs> get your ass into the kitchen. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. I... Well, it's, you know, the part of the problem, I, I had a chance to do a, a presentation couple days ago for a friend of mine, I don't know if you know him, John O'Laughlin, who does the McDuff Live or McDuff Lives uh, website. His father was an operative of Saxo, which was the agency that was taken over by John Kennedy to spy on the CIA after the Bay of Pigs. And his father uh, died 50 years ago. And uh, so we had a, a memorial for him uh, on, online the other day. What was interesting is there were a number of people who were reflecting on the change in the mentality of people in politics and, and political leadership from the 40s and 50s, the immediate post-war generation to today. Now, that's not to, to glorify everyone who was a politician, but you had people like Kennedy, people like Eisenhower, who at least had a sense of what it meant to have to fight for the country yeah. and who understood how precious human life is and also how wonderful it is to live in a country where you have freedom, but you shouldn't abuse that freedom. And one of the things I talked about was Kennedy's absolute anger about the colonial system. You know, most people don't know this, but he gave some speeches in the late 50s in the Senate, ripping the idea that Europe was continuing its colonial relations with countries in Africa, including Algeria. And well, 
Well, Macron recently said that you know all the Western nations should sell their gold to give it to Africa. Harley, I mean, isn't that is that very altruistic of him? But you and I both know he's not going to do that, as you know. Of course, they they hide their avarice in with their altruism. They're not going to do any of that. This, if anything, it's a gold confiscation scheme to get it out of Western whatever few ounces the West has left and get it into private hands of these Western bankers. Yeah. But in Kennedy's case, it was genuine in that he had this idea that he was going to follow through with the FDR policy for, for FDR. The purpose of the war was to put an end to the system that led to the war, namely the British imperial system. And this was a dispute that Roosevelt had with Churchill. Whatever people think of Roosevelt, he was not committed to protecting the British system. And there are very interesting stories from his son's book, uh, As I Saw It, talking about dinners with uh, Roosevelt and Churchill, where one time, for example, Roosevelt said to Churchill, but Winston, never again will American boys die for the sake of the British Empire. And Elliot Roosevelt wrote, Churchill coughed, choked, turned purple, and said, of course you can't mean that. Hmm. Now, when FDR died, what happened? Churchill came over, took poor little Harry Truman and got him to support the, the uh, idea of the Cold War, the Iron Curtain, and U.S. intelligence, which was still fighting, was still split between patriots and Wall Street. Yeah, they, they purged totally, the OSS. Yeah, it became totally taken over by Wall Street through the influence of Sir William Stevenson, who ran British intelligence during the war. So, you know, you look back at this period from the post-war period and you see we've gone off the rails since the late 60s, early 70s. And how are we going to change that? And I think what's interesting, what Lavrov was saying, what Putin was saying, what this uh, deputy finance minister was saying is that, look, we've got to find an alternative. And it's not just because of the sanctions. The sanctions are just a symptom of the collapse of legitimacy of, of the transatlantic region. But part of that lack of legitimacy is the fact that they've run the world economy into the ground for the sake of creating the paper billionaires who now are flexing their muscles the way they run social media and so on. Well, what if Russia and China and a handful of other productive countries come to the United States and say, look, we'll give you one last chance. You can work with us or not. But we're going into a we're going in a different direction, right? And the question then is, and this is your job and mine: Will the American people react in a demand for a war against them, or will they turn on our leaders here and say, "Okay, you guys are gone. We've got to get a new group in there." Well, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you what the problem is, and I think uh, you know a cohort, Velas and CJ. If you want to share the screen on this, hold on. Let me just uh, get this set up here. I think I think this is important. Um, yeah, see if you want to go ahead and share that. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. That, that that's the that that's the average American right there, right? <laughs> I have depression, anxiety disorder. I'm confused about what gender I am. I'm unemployed and serious debt. I wasted all my money on weed and Star Wars memorabilia. I have almost no impulse control. I haven't learned how to put the Cheetos bags down. Now, here's how I would fix the country. That. That's the problem right there, Harley. It's like they don't know. You see, the average American has no clue. They no clue. And they think if they keep their heads down, 
that somebody else will take care of it for them. And yeah. that's how it is in every aspect of the life. If I keep my head down, somebody else will take care of my finances. If I keep my head down, somebody else will educate my kid. If I keep my head down, somebody else will, cure, will, will solve the medical problem of this country. If I keep my head down, somebody else will take care of the financial issues that are facing this nation. If I keep my head down, everything will be okay. Why? Because we're America. We never lose. We're, we're, you know, we're special. We're the, we're the city on the hill. We're the indispensable nation. Well, and you realize if you keep your head down, you're going to get kicked in the butt. What's happening is their head is so down, it's, it's up their rear ends. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that the, the flip side of that is that the anxiety disorders and everything else are part of a recognition that, that what they thought existed, it doesn't exist. That the land of make-believe that they thought they were born into, and now I'm talking about people, people who came of age in the 60s and 70s who thought they were privileged are beginning to realize that that isn't so much privilege. And this whole idea of white privilege is, is such a joke because what we all, we're, we're all in a dying nation and people are more willing to point figure, fingers at everyone else than to figure out what's really causing it. And I think this was the problem with the Trump administration was that with, with all the things that were worthwhile that Trump wanted to do, he had a bunch of bums working for him. Oh my and, God! He was surrounded by idiots. Yeah, just and ugh. just a simple thing. Why not publicly declassify the RussiaGate documents? He had supposedly his own guy Ratcliffe at, as the DNI. Ratcliffe had the papers ready to go. Why not release them publicly? What do you have to lose? You know, it's like why not release the Kennedy documents? Why, why not have full disclosure? And then you look at the, the fact that Trump could have moved to uh, pardon Julian Assange, even though Assange doesn't really need to be pardoned. Well, he, he pardoned uh, two other very important to society individuals. One is uh, Kodak Black, and I think the other one was Snoop Doggy Dog. Those guys needed to be pardoned. <laughs> and you look at the what we could have learned from Snowden had we brought Snowden back here. Who wants to come back? Yeah. And I don't think Assange wants to come here, but we're trying to kill him. The U.S. and the British are trying to kill Julian Assange because he published truthful documents about the war crimes that were committed. And you know, when people say, well, they're, by, by doing that, by prosecuting him, they're protecting the soldiers who did things. It's not the soldiers who were to blame that were on the ground. It was the policy. Yeah. The policy and the policymakers. Why has George W. Bush not been dragged before a tribunal or Dick Cheney? Why are these people still able to uh, be treated to guest appearances on television shows where Bush talks about his childish paintings? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we. Oh my God! And where do I begin? And this is this is this is the failure of Trump. He was, he had uh, his lack of discernment in who he surrounded himself with, and all the stuff he talked about. Yet he had no courage to declass. I mean, he had nothing to lose. I mean, dude, you lost the election. You're on your way out. Go out with a bang. Declass everything. Nothing. He freed two rappers. He pardoned two rappers. Okay. This is a joke. Well, and, and he was threatened by McConnell, I was told, that McConnell 
might not keep the Republicans in line when the second impeachment came up. Yeah. Well, if McConnell would have done that, then it would have made much more clear to everyone that the Republican Party is no different from the Democratic Party when it comes to who's pulling the strings. Bingo. And so instead, he allowed the illusion that the Republican Party might be a vehicle to do some good, when in fact, the Republican Party is more neocon, more hawk, and neoliberal than even the pathetic characters in the Democratic Party. Oh, yeah. So we had a chance for real clarity, and we lost it. Now, that being said, there are still many, many people who learned some lessons during that period. The, the problem is they don't know where to look for leadership. And I, I'll just tell you one thing that, that still, I think, is something that, that I'm trying to come to terms with. Had there not been an all-court press in the 80s to completely demonize and slander Lyndon LaRouche, oh, yeah. then people would realize that LaRouche, going back to the 70s, was the one person in this country who not only wouldn't sell out, but knew what he was talking about. You realize in 1976, on election eve, he did a, a half-hour TV broadcast. He was running at the time his first presidential campaign for the Labor Party, which he created. And you see someone go into a voting booth, pull a button for Jimmy Carter, and then a mushroom cloud comes up. And his point at that time was attacking Zbigniew Brzezinski, for his strategy, his strategic policy of trying to break apart the Soviet Union by using Islamic fundamentalism. And so before anyone heard of Al-Qaeda or bin Laden or any of these things, LaRouche had figured out that this was the strategy of the British Empire to contain the United States. Well, yeah, it goes back to the 40s when the Brits created the, 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 the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt to take out yeah. Nazareth. Hassan al-Banna. Yeah. 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 So if you know history and you know something about the mind of these oligarchs, you can fight. And, and we've got to educate people as quickly as possible to become knowledgeable about the difference between real wealth that's a product of human creativity and those people who are thinking of money as the source of wealth. Yeah, it, it's completely ass backwards. It's things, you know. It's a, the article that I'm writing right now that I'm going to be put, play, you know, putting on Rogue. People need to understand when you have and and, and you know Matthew Arad and I spoke about this uh, the other day. When you have the quote unquote fire economy, finance, insurance, and real estate, that's not an economy. And it, 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 it's incredible to me that when you look at industry, V, they call it the industry. The industry. It's it's not an industry. It's a joke. It, those things, finance, insurance, and real estate should be a, 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 a direct result of a robust physical economy, a physical economy that's propped, created, and powered by incredible manufacturing. That's how it's supposed to be. Because, you know, they sold us the lie of, oh, we're a service-based industry. No, we're not. Because the wealth of a country, last I checked, is always created not on the speculation floor of a stock market and a trading floor, but on the factory floor. That's where the wealth is created. And, and this is what we're missing. Tool, the machine tool shops where the creative artisan can figure out how to improve production on his own during the, the course of the day. Yeah, absolutely, man. 
Absolutely. And this is why like, I, I was reading, uh, I remember a few oh, months ago, and I'm, you know, I, I remember actually it was uh, two, three years ago, actually. I was reading an article about this uh, American watch company called Chanel. Okay. They, yeah, French name, whatever. But they wanted to create the first fully 100% automatic and sourced watch right here in the United States, right? They wanted to have the, 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 the sapphire crystals used here, the movement used here, everything assembled, built in the United States. Uh, everything from the bezel, the whole thing, a beautiful watch. It, it, it was a homage to the classic Rolex Submariner from the late 60s, the, the mill sub, right? But the problem that Janot ran into was the fact that they could not find a single damn thing here in the United States. So they literally had to go to, let's say, they, they wanted to create a ratcheting bezel. They went to a gun manufacturer, gave them CAD designs of what they wanted, and then the gun manufacturer was able to do it. And they had to do that piece by piece, and they realized at the end of the day that they couldn't even get the components here. Yeah. So they had to source stuff from Europe and from China and then kind of build it here. And they could never use the label made in the USA. They could say yeah. assembled, but they can't say made. And this is the yeah. problem. And Joe Biden, these morons, want to create a, 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 a microchip factory here. They're, you know, Congress recently signed a, a bill, $52 billion for for creating microchips here. <laughs> what a joke. They can't. They just can't. Well, and in the meantime, they're about to provoke a war between China and Taiwan where they, they get most of the microchips now. Only an idiot. Only the most low IQ freaking morons would do something so stupid. Because here's the deal. China could take Taiwan in a matter of hours. China could take Taiwan a matter of hours, and the United States does not have the projecting power to fight a technological peer. And when they've done these military, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, exercises, these computer models that they've done multiple times, where they're, you know, they, these war games where they're launching F-35 fighters, you know, into the South China Sea, and you've had international observers, they, they, they found shockingly to their shock and amusement what happened to the United States military. The, one of the observers from Australia said it best. He said it was like watching, it, it was like clubbing baby seals. How quickly and rapidly the U.S. military would lose a conflict like that. The statement from the guy who designed the last war games was, it's not, are we going to lose? It's, are we losing faster now? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I would urge people, we're going to have on June 26th and 27th, uh, Saturday and Sunday in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a full day conference. And, you know, I think last time you put the first panel up uh, as a live stream on, on Rogue, and I'd be really happy if you do that again, because I think people will be quite interested in seeing who we have as speakers, because we've been yeah. getting some very top people from Russia, from China, from Syria, from France, and we're going to do that again. We're going to show people that, the world is not made up of idiots who are self-promoters like what we're used to from the American Congress. But there are serious thinkers who want to bring together uh, the people around or nations, sovereign nations, into an alliance for the common aims of mankind. So June 26th and 27th, you can register for it at the SchillerInstitute.com. Very well said. Holly, definitely, folks. Again, go to the Institute.com, Register for the conference, June 26th through the 27th. Get there and learn. I mean, 
understand and get yourself a real geopolitical, geostrategic uh, education. And you can also find Harley's work once again at LaRoucheOrganization.com as well. Harley, any last words before we let you go? No, that's that's all I got for today. Perfect. <laughs> Actually, people can go to the LaRouche Organization website and see my daily update. Today I did one on what's what's really involved if you want peace in the Middle East. Mm. Very well said. Oh, looks like we have an additional guest on the show. My, my little girl just came in here. I think she's telling me it's time to eat. That's awesome. it. It's time to eat. Time to eat. And with that being said, folks, we are uh, we're, we're, we're done for the day. And uh, CJ, take it away. <laughs>